Hey, and welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am not your host, Ted Cluck. Uh, any regular listener will know that immediately. I am Barnabas Piper, one of the other two co-hosts of this podcast. The reason you don't hear Ted or Ronald J. Martin on this episode is because those two gentlemen were very gracious to let me do something unique on this episode, something that we haven't done before. Um, but as fellow authors, they understand the challenge of marketing books and and the difficulty of getting content out there. So they have given me an opportunity to do something kind of cool. Christian Audio is the company that that produced the audiobook for my brand new book, The Curious Christian. So they are sponsoring this episode and what they're doing is they've given me a free chapter of that audiobook to put out as a podcast episode. So that's what you're about to hear is chapter two of The Curious Christian, my new book. Uh, it's available in print and digital copies wherever you buy those things. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, uh, Lifeway Stores, ChristianBook.com, etc., etc. But if you go to christianaudio.com and you use the code HAPPYRANT, you get this audiobook for 50% off between now and the end of March. So they have provided not only a free chapter for you to listen to, but a discount on the entire book. Uh, if you can stand listening to my voice read an entire audiobook, um, that's a pretty sweet deal. So go to christianaudio.com, search for The Curious Christian, use the code HAPPYRANT. Uh, you'll see a spot to put in codes when you check out, and it will reduce the price to 50% off. Um, so check that out. What you are about to hear is, like I said, is chapter two of that book. Um, normally what we do on this podcast is pretty tongue-in-cheek, pretty lighthearted, what I write in my books is not always as such. I mean, I, I try to mix in a little humor, but it's it's more thoughtful. I hope. I hope it's a little bit more inspiring. I hope it. I hope it. Uh, it helps shape how you think and believe a little bit. And obviously, this is just a segment of it. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I hope it's beneficial to you, and I hope it inspires you to go to Christian Audio, use that code Happy Rant, and get your fifty percent discount. Now, here is chapter two of The Curious Christian as provided by ChristianAudio.com. Part one, to be Christian is to be curious. Chapter one, do grown-ups really need curiosity? Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. He was a good little monkey and always very curious. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. You probably recognize at least one of these lines or stories. And not only do we recognize them, they take us back to a time and place. We can almost hear the voice of our mom, grandpa, or first grade teacher reading to us. We picture where we were sitting as we watched Alice follow the frenetic, worried white rabbit into Wonderland. We hear these words and we are transported to childhood. And that is where curiosity lives for many, in a once upon a time, long, long ago era. It fits in the time of life when we were turning over stones to look at creepy crawly bugs and exploring every forest like it might be Sherwood, resplendent with Robin Hood and Maid Marian. Curiosity is what filled our imaginations once and got us into a fair bit of trouble, too, like the time we picked the lock on our sister's diary, disassembled the toaster, or found the Christmas presents Mom hid at the back of her closet under the old sweaters. Curiosity is a childish word but not one that ought to be left in the dusty attic with old teddy bears and G.I. Joes. The thing that made it a part of the best childhood experiences is what makes it so important now, today, as an adult. 
childlike, not childish. The ability to retain a child's view of the world with, at the same time, a mature understanding of what it means to retain it is extremely rare, and a person who has these qualities is likely to be able to contribute something really important to our thinking. Mortimer J. Adler Maturity in the minds of many means smothering all of childhood with responsibility, ambition, and adulthood. It means being focused, productive, and making a difference in the world. The name Peter Banning won't mean much to most of you until you remember the movie Hook, starring the late Robin Williams. Banning, Williams's character, is a hard-driving, successful, fast-talking corporate lawyer who is completely disengaged from his children's lives, especially his son Jack. Since the movie came out 25 years ago, I feel like I can share the ending without a spoiler alert warning. Banning is the adult Peter Pan, and a key element of the story is how he must relearn to have fun again. After Captain Hook kidnaps his kids, their lives depend on Peter learning how to be a child again. He must relearn how to be Peter Pan. His version of maturity, the inability to laugh and joke and play and food fight and bangerang and crow, could cost him his children. Banning is the quintessential American adult, overemphasizing the responsibility of adulthood as the essence of maturity. All things silly, lighthearted, and fun are immature. Maturity means big decisions, fiscal management, and a serious outlook on life. While maturity absolutely means being responsible, I beg to differ about whether that is the whole of it. And I have the Apostle Paul and Jesus on my side, so I win. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. It almost reads as if he agrees with that definition of maturity I just gave. But of course, we must acknowledge what Jesus had to say too. In Luke 18, Jesus welcomed little children, open-armed, even rebuking his disciples who tried to keep them at bay. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Are these contradictory views of childhood? Not at all. One suffix makes all the difference. Ish, as in child-ish. Paul wrote about putting away those things that are childish, immature. Childish, in this case, means simplistic, shallow, and generally stupid. We know this because Paul talks about thinking and reasoning and speaking like a child. He is talking about how children process information and are generally incapable of complex thought and timely, wise speech. As the parent of two young children, I can verify that the way children think and speak is far more likely to end up with crayon drawings on the wall, spilled maple syrup, and the accusations of being a poophead than anything resembling complex problem-solving or soul-searching. Jesus, on the other hand, praised that aspect of childlikeness that would humbly, excitedly, wondrously welcome his kingdom. Think of how children respond to fireworks on the 4th of July. Their oohs and ahs are the very thing that make explosions in the sky so enjoyable for parents. Think of how excited they get at finding a frog in the creek and the leaping, squealing joy when grandma and grandpa come to visit. The wonder and merriment and raw enthusiasm kids bring to otherwise mundane experiences reveal the spirit Jesus praises. This is childlikeness, 
not childishness. Paul's and Jesus' teachings are two sides of the same coin, two parts of a whole. Maturity means growing out of those aspects of childhood that are selfish, unaware of others in the world, an excuse for sin. It does not mean leaving behind all aspects of childhood. To do so, in fact, arrests the development of our souls. We must hold fast to those aspects to which Jesus alluded. Curiosity is one of these. Children bubble over with questions. Why is the sky blue? Why does my ice cream cone melt? Why can't I see God? What makes the car go? When's dinner? And all those might be in the space of a single hour of an evening. It's marvelous, if a bit exhausting. Children's minds never stop working, leaping from thing to thing, endlessly wondering about the world and all that it contains. That isn't childish, it's childlike. And it's something grown-ups have lost along the way. All that wonder and curiosity we had as children was our very nature. We didn't so much learn it, we just couldn't help it. Somewhere in the midst of aging and maturing, nurture defeated nature, locked it in the dungeon of history, and left it to die. It started in junior high when we realized being a bright-eyed question asker just wasn't cool. Continued through high school and college as certain subjects and objective exams were upheld as the righteous standard of learning. And the dungeon door slammed shut when we started our careers and families because responsibility left no room for questions and wonder. We were taught, tacitly and explicitly, that some subjects and hobbies matter while others are childish diversions. We sought maturity, and curiosity had no place in the version we saw. Real maturity. But what if maturity is not, as I mentioned earlier, the smothering of childhood so that we can dutifully, and often morosely, handle the cares of adulthood? What if maturity handles the responsibilities of life with all the care and gravity they deserve, but not at the expense of childlikeness? Healthy maturity is that which knows when and how to be childlike. A child might interrupt her parents to blurt out a seemingly random question about fruit flies or bodily functions or Barbie dolls or why the iPad won't work because she's too immature to recognize the discourtesy. A mature adult might have the same question but knows when and how to ask it so as not to disrespect or disrupt others. Children love fairy tales, adventure stories, mystic lands, and heroic characters that launch their imagination and turn a backyard into Middle Earth, a swing set into Hogwarts, a rocking chair into a TIE fighter, and a bunk bed into Captain Hook's ship. Every stick is a wand or weapon, and every towel a cape. Children embody their heroes in their play and live out the lives of legends. Mature adults love the same stories, are moved by the same heroes, and lose themselves in the same faraway places, but without the towel capes and slatboard swords. I'll leave you, dear reader, to interpret what this might mean for Comic-Con and cosplay fans. Many of us call these stories guilty pleasures. We indulge them privately and feel a bit sheepish about it. What if they aren't guilty, but rather just pleasures? What if the places our imagination takes us are right where we ought to be? healthy and rich places for our minds and souls. C.S. Lewis was one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers and writers of the 20th century. He knew multiple ancient languages, was an expert in classic literature and mythology, and an Oxford professor, 
He wrote magisterially on the nature of God and the relationship between God and man, and was a devastating Christian apologist. His work is just shy of the biblical canon for many believers to this day. In short, C.S. Lewis was a mature adult, intellectually superior to most, and fruitful to the extreme. He is to be emulated and looked up to in many ways. Lewis had this to say regarding maturity and becoming an adult. When I was ten, I read fairy tales in secret, and would have been ashamed if I had been found doing so. Now that I am fifty, I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. The modern view seems to me to involve a false conception of growth. They accuse us of arrested development because we have not lost a taste we had in childhood. But surely arrested development consists not in refusing to lose old things, but in failing to add new things? Where I formerly had one pleasure, I now have two. It is usual to speak in a playfully apologetic tone about one's adult enjoyment of what are called children's books. I think the convention is a silly one. No book is really worth reading at the age of 10, which is not equally, and often far more, worth reading at the age of 50. Except, of course, books of information. The only imaginative works we ought to grow out of are those which it would have been better not to have read at all. Well now, that paints things in a different light altogether. One of the greatest, most brilliant, most productive Christians in recent history says that we are to somehow, some way, carry childlikeness into adulthood with us. That, friends, is maturity at its best. Any other form is soulless and dull. Imagination and Information Let our teaching be full of ideas. Hitherto it has been stuffed only with facts. Anatole France We draw the line between imagination and information. We grow out of the former and invest in the latter. We decide that the former has value for life, while the latter is mere escapism from life. This, Lewis would argue, is where we go wrong. He would say that the collection of information, the pursuit of knowledge, is not enough without the fostering and feeding of the imagination as well. Logic will get you from A to Z. Imagination will get you everywhere. Albert Einstein Without leaps of imagination or dreaming, we lose the excitement of possibilities. Dreaming, after all, is a form of planning. Gloria Steinem Reality leaves a lot to the imagination. John Lennon Imagination guides and shapes our use of information. If we know all the facts and truths, we are just a static hard drive, a library. Libraries are full of information, stacked high and deep. But what can a library do with all the knowledge it holds? Not a thing. It is a static repository, and that is what we are without imagination. What do we do with information? Where does it apply? How can we do the most good with it? Who knows? The person with imagination, who values the virtues of great heroes and can envision and form a better story, knows. That person is curious. Curiosity and imagination are conjoined twins. With one comes the other. Imagination continually asks, what if? then envisions the possible answers and lets the mind run with possibilities. Curiosity asks just about anything, 
and then explores the answers and presses to figure it out and see what else there is. It pokes and prods. Curiosity gives flesh to imagination. If information is dead on its own, then this is the life force that animates it and moves it to action. The Spark Kids need routine, they say. They, being experts, are probably right. Routine reduces anxiety and gives children a sense of security about the shape of life. It offers stability and structure, a well-built life on a firm foundation for little, uncertain minds to learn and grow safely. But children love surprises, too. They love the unpredictable and the wild. Adults? Not so much. Most adults take that routine of childhood and anchor it in a concrete foundation buried deep. We thrive unpredictable, and we live life as if it all ought to be that way. Isaac Newton declared that every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So every action we take should have a clear and foreseeable response. We parent this way. We lead our businesses and churches this way. We relate to our spouses and friends this way. We do everything as if it should be predictable. In short, we like to live in a rut of consistency. The same stability that creates an environment for children to grow leads adults to stagnate and deteriorate. But life isn't predictable, is it? People are crazy. Kids are crazy squared. Nature is nuts. Mix in society, politics, religion, family, and you have a morass of who knows what will happen next. How's a mature, level-headed adult trying to manage life in a reasonable, wise way to survive? With curiosity. Curiosity asks what's next, what now, what if, what about, what's that, who, when, and most especially, why. It asks and asks and asks, in part because it knows a surprise awaits, and in part because it harkens back to childhood. Children snoop under couch cushions, peek behind dressers, rifle through purses, hide in dark closets, climb trees, poke at anthills, color on walls, play pranks, and wander off in target because they just have to know what will happen or what's there. As adults, we see these actions as annoying as often, okay, more often, than we do endearing. But they reveal a spark that every adult needs. Without it, the unpredictability of life will become our enemy and eat us up. With it, we keep growing and developing. Unpredictability becomes opportunity. Creativity is just connecting things. When you ask creative people how they did something, they feel a little guilty because they didn't really do it. They just saw something. It seemed obvious to them after a while. Steve Jobs the spark of curiosity might light a fuse that launches you into the halls of academia, the pulpit of a church, or an executive boardroom. It's just as likely to propel you into the laundry room, the carpool lane, or the library. It might take you on a walk in the woods, turn on cartoons, or sit you in front of a pile of Legos. Each one is as valuable as the other and has something unexpected to reveal to you. None is more mature or worthwhile than the others, if done with that spark of curiosity. Curiosity seeks the unexpected rather than waiting for it to ambush us. Curiosity produces a proactive life rather than a reactive life. We go on the hunt to discover rather than letting the new and strange come to us, 
And that is where learning and growth happen. Without curiosity, we grow as stale as the open package of saltines at the back of the pantry and as musty as the forgotten boxes in your grandmother's attic. We become lifeless in our souls and minds and then useless in our life and purpose. From here, I hope to walk in that spirit of discovery, that curiosity, through the following chapters. I want to examine our own lives, our faith and relationship with God. Then we get to explore our connection to other people, both those we love and those we have yet to meet. Beyond that is the frontier of society and culture. What does curiosity have to show us about that? From there, we will turn our eyes to the great beyond of eternity in heaven or hell. How might curiosity prepare us for eternity and even affect us in the next life? If all of this sounds a bit wild, like maybe I've overshot just a bit and should have just left curiosity in the care of the man with the yellow hat, I simply implore you to move forward with me. Bit by bit, I'll try to peel back the layers of predictable reality to reveal the wonder underneath that God has hidden there. Not all of it, of course, but hopefully enough to hook you. Let the spark of curiosity you once had flare into life again. You never know what wonderful place it might take you. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. Resonate has helped us with our editing and mastering pretty much from the beginning of the podcast. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Mark and Jake do a fantastic and timely job with all sorts of podcast services. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.